This morning marks a unique time for us as a church. Uh, it is not a frequent event that we ordain an elder to join the eldership team that is here. And boy, there's just, there's so much to say about that topic. And then that for me gets complicated by the individual who is being ordained this morning has particular connection. Uh, he and I do for many, many, many years. <clears throat> Frank Laurier would be the individual that God used to introduce the gospel to me in 1978. And so in a strange way, uh, I, I wouldn't be here outside of God's sovereign purposes without this man. So it's, it's kind of bizarre to be participating in ordaining the person who introduced you to Christ. Uh, so uh, and those many years now, since 1978, for me personally, have been filled with uh, an abundance of memories, an abundance of impact and influence and effect on my soul that I could take up all this time just telling you uh, personally what this individual means to me and the impact that his life has had upon me that really just illustrates the calling of God that exists in his life. And, and so um, I'm conflicted with how much personal information to mess with this morning as I try really just to, to preach to you from the word here uh, in just a moment. Uh, but why do we do this? Let me, let me just give a, a brief uh, qualifier for, you know, what's going on here today? You know, we're, we're adding an, an elder to the leadership team of elders in this local church. And you know, where'd you get that idea from? Is that just something you guys came up with? Is that some idea that you thought was a good idea? So you guys locally do that sort of thing? Uh, no, you know, quite honestly, and this is as simple as we get, you know, we very much believe God has most clearly revealed himself in this word. There are many places that we understand things about God, and, and many of us have personal experiences that are valid things that we've experienced in God. But what we are most sure about, God has revealed through his word to us. And so our ambition as a local church is to see what we see here, and where God has made that clear, to transfer that into our own lives. And, and what is clear from these scriptures is God's centerpiece of whatever he's doing in this world today is located in a local church setting. That's just clear from scripture. We didn't make that up because we're a local church. No, we became a local church because we see that in the scriptures. And those local churches are to have leaders that are called elders in every location. And so what we do today is not something we invented. We're just trying to, to get in line with what the scriptures teach about how to do life, how to live in God's kingdom and experience God's grace. Listen, it, it is clear to all of us that there is a God who is incredibly loving and gracious, seeking involvement in our lives. That, that's clear. If you read very many pages of the Bible, you'll find that's very clear. But this is where we kind of can go blind or kind of go biblically ignorant, is God uses means to accomplish those things. And so we just can't pay attention to some mysterious realm of God is gracious and caring and loving and kind and wants to be involved in our individual lives. We also have to pay attention to how does he do that? And so what we're going to see today as we preach through the word today is God does that through elders at some level. Not the only thing God uses, but it is something that God uses. So I don't know if I wrote this in your outline there. This is what we observe today. Local churches were to be led by a plurality of elders, right, where it is at all possible more than one should be leading local churches, who have identifiable abilities to lead and who have been qualified in their character, who were observed by local church members and were appointed by local church elders. So, so that would be the pattern that we are simply seeking to follow today as we add another man to our team of, of elders. And I'll ask the elders to sit up here in the front row, and you'll see why in this passage, but, but just also for, for you to be aware of the plurality of men and their wives who walk with them, who are 
caring for the souls of those whom God has placed in this local church setting. That, that is the, the purpose of God, a plurality of men called by God to serve in this setting for the good of our souls and for the glory of God's name. And that's what you're going to see here in this passage I'm going to preach from today. So turn to First Peter chapter 5. If you've got a, a means to just kind of stay in that book with me, either turning pages or flipping in your phone app. We're going to look at a couple of passages here to just get the, the bigger picture in, in just a moment. <clears throat> but let's read 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1. So, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder... And a witness of the sufferings of Christ. As well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight. Not not under compulsion, but willingly. As God would have you. And not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore. Under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. Well, Lord, we, we pause before your word. Because we want to receive something from your word. We just don't want the ideas of men floating in our hearts and lives. We want your divinely inspired word. Words you chose to preserve for us. To show up in these moments. And to give us insights into our own lives. And the life that we seek to live today. So Lord open our hearts to your word. Holy Spirit give us insight into what you have written in Jesus name. Amen. Well, I titled this message, The Difficulty of Life and the Doctrine of Elders. This, this is a good service to check out in, isn't it? Right? I mean, if you showed up here this morning, you know, some ecclesiastical hoop-de-doo thing where somebody's going to officially put, be put in place. You know, some official paperwork of the church is going on here today. Man, shoot, if I'd known this, I probably not, you know, I would have gone ahead and made other plans this morning. Because this doesn't sound like a topic that's going to land in your backyard, right? This is, how's this going to help you Tuesday or Wednesday or in your personal situation or with the disappointment that you're going through or challenges in life you're facing, you're just paying bills at the end of the month. This just seems so irrelevant, doesn't it? But yet it's not. Because Peter's going to place this in a particular setting and he's going to highlight particular things that are sitting right in the middle of the challenges of our lives. All right, so we pick this up in verse 1. And this word, so I exhort the elders. All right, so one of the reasons I asked the elders to sit in the front today was because this passage first preaches to us as elders. And since it's a letter that Peter wrote in the first century to the church, it it is sort of letting the church in on a conversation Peter's going to have with the elders in this particular section. So for two reasons, you're going to see in just a moment, elders are to be set apart among you. So they're they're supposed to be identifiable. You shouldn't be in the church you're going, elders, I didn't know we had elders. Who's that and what the heck's going on there? Uh, They're identifiable. They're a group of people identifiable in scripture. So much so that Peter can speak directly to them. And he can say particular things to them. They're things that we need to know as elders. But they're things that the church needs to know 
as how God has set elders in our midst. And so there's this word here, so, right? It's one of those connector words. It's one of those therefore words. Matter of fact, very similar to the word we looked at last week. It, it's a word of summation. It's, it's a word that we've been talking about this, and we've talked about this, and we've mentioned this, and mentioned this, and this. So, as a result of all that, you know, the, the consequence of all that, so I exhort the elders. And so, Peter's pulling a bunch of stuff into this exhortation to elders that's coming right out of every one of our lives. Our our lives on Tuesday and next week and and the challenges and struggles that we're having. Right? I think I may have put this in your outline, but if you can follow along quickly. Here's here's what he gathers in. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 6. Just one of these thoughts. He says, in this you rejoice, though now... For a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Right? If, there's a, if there's a book in the New Testament that features the topic of suffering and difficulty and challenge, it's First Peter. It's going to cover some other territory, but it's going to live within arm's reach of that subject. If, if you're a person going through a season of suffering and difficulty in your life, you, you, you need to spend copious amounts of time reading in 1 Peter. So that I'm going to find it interesting that in that book, with that emphasis, is where we're going to find one of the greatest admonitions and exhortations given to elders in that setting. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. We looked at this verse last week. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded... Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, why do you and I have to be instructed or helped or advised on where to set our hope? Why do you think the Bible does that? Might it just be this simple? Because we're going to have moments in our life where we're not quite sure where to put it. I'm I'm not... This has failed me. This disappointed me. I don't feel the same. Where am, I, where am I going to put my hope? So there's a battle for hope taking place in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Christian, your life in this world is going to have moments where life feels like a fiery trial. Like someone has set your world on fire. And there's intensity and there's heat and there's intimidation in your world. And Peter says, don't be surprised if that's how life might feel. And then he gives a few thoughts and comes back to that in 1 Peter 4 verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. Right? So you are going to suffer. Then he says, so I exhort the elders among you. So apparently... In Peter's thinking of how God is going to bring grace into our lives, there's all this challenge and difficulty that's going to come to us as Christians. So, elders, church, you're going to to need what elders bring into this setting as you go through fiery trials and you wonder where to put your hope. And you face difficulties in your life. So, so this is not just a message of some ecclesiastical practice of the church that I don't really need to know about all that. You guys just make those decisions and stuff just happens, you know, and it's just somewhere in the bylaws or whatever. The Bible says something about it. Can you just tell me about something I need to hear? If you're facing difficulty in your life right now, if you're wondering where to put your hope right now, if fiery trials have come among you, We need to hear this. This is part of how God is going to meet us. So I exhort, verse 1, I exhort the elders 
an identifiable group of individuals in a local setting should exist. It is the pattern of the New Testament. As a matter of fact, when Paul would go from city to city and preach the gospel and people would respond and there would be a gathering of people, the priority that he goes after next was to set elders in place in those local settings. So in, in every church... There should be an identified group of leaders known as elders. And they're going to get described in these verses using three words, which are three common words that are in the New Testament to describe the role, the activity of elders. And so this this verse preaches well for my own soul. And so I'm I'm inviting the elders to, to join with me in receiving this exhortation from God. This is what God has to say about the role we are called to play. There's something of the grace of God tucked away in these words that God chooses to display. Now, now remember, God is God, right? He's not limited by what he can and can't do. We've talked about this before. Grace could have been for God a pixie dust experience. That we just pray and suddenly, you know, little gold flakes of dust come falling out of the sky or maybe out of the light sockets this morning. And you just run underneath and get underneath it and suddenly grace comes into your life. And whatever was hard, ooh, there's help. And whatever was confusing and hope challenging, ooh, I got some pixie dust grace all over me. I'm good. I'm good to go. What a good service it was this morning. That's not how God's doing this. There are some things that God kind of does do like that. But grace is going to come to us through these individuals who are described in three words, right? So one of the words is the word elder. It's the Greek word presbyteros. And it simply is a word that characterizes a person's life as having wisdom, life experience. It is the word from which we get older, an older person has been provided an opportunity to to not just be in the starting gates of life, full of ideas, full of enthusiasm about those ideas, and, and maybe really good at explaining their ideas, but not well informed by what life is like when you get out the starting gate and when you've run down the road a little bit and you've walked with people and you've you've had experiences. Right, so an elder it's the Old Testament concept that, you know, in the tribes of Israel, there would have been elders, people whose lives had, had lived something that allowed them to come to an understanding of this is what life is and this is what it's kind of about. And so there's a quality to men that are like that. And, and I've said this before, I think when we talked earlier last year about, about Evan being ordained, um, this is not just a production of age. It's, it's, it's an experiential dimension. Right? So you can be older and you didn't take notes along the way. You know what I mean? And you get later in life and you just kind of really don't have much to share. You don't have much by way of insight because you, you weren't a student of life and of God's dealings and God's ways. And you have some people who are younger who are good note takers and they pay attention and they absorb a lot. And they could be in a better position. So that word has life experience mixed into it. There's this word shepherd that's going to be in this passage. We're charged to shepherd the flock of God that's among you. This word shepherd, it it comes from the shepherding practice of the day. The agricultural practice of caring for flocks. And it's from where we get the word pastor. It is a role of feeding. It's the predominant role. Shepherds, you know, if you don't, shepherds don't feed their flock, their flocks die. So there's a feeding dimension that elders are responsible for the diet of the church to feed and teach the word of God. There is a care dimension to what elders do, what shepherds do in the lives of the flock. There is a protection dimension that a shepherd plays that when attacks come from the outside the the elders are to play a role of protecting others from that so that word is important and then that last word that's going to be used is that there are shepherds are called to exercise oversight and this is the third common word describing an elder in the new testament uh, it comes from the greek word episkopos and it is exactly that it is a role of authority And a role of oversight, a role that is managing the affairs and activities, 
the rhymes and rhythms of the church, the ways in which things are being formulated and done and people's lives are being cared for and ordered. So God calls individuals to play those three roles into the life of the church as a means of God's grace coming into difficult settings. God raises up individuals to do that. And then Peter's going to exhort the elders in verse 2. He says, I exhort the elders, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight. And he's going to clarify the attitude, the mindset, the motivation, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And he's going to call on everybody to be humble in the way in which we walk together, particularly as leaders. So let me me put a couple of thoughts into these words. And these are good words for each of us to, to revisit as we think about God having called individuals to play a role of being elders here in this church. Uh, we are called to do that willingly. Not, we're not cornered into this. There's no forced against our will component here. Right? You know what God does? God is the amazing sovereign God who works in our hearts so that we might want what he wants. That is how God should be operating in every one of our lives. But to answer a call to be an elder is, is not to draw the short straw. Frank, did you draw the short straw? Is that what happened? Um, all right. I guess somebody's got to do this for goodness sake. You know, it, this, is, this is God has won over the will of the person. But you know, God's in the business of doing that. All right? It's a God who's at work in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. So whether this role is convenient or inconvenient, attractive or unattractive, there is a winning of God's winning over our will that should be active in these sort of roles. Uh, We are to play this role responsibly. The exhortation includes an exhortation to exercise oversight. You You have a responsibility in this setting that has to be Activated. It has to be obeyed. It has to actually happen. So elders are given a task that we must be responsible for, which means we have the, the challenging task of prioritizing life. I've just noticed that we never run out of options. There's always stuff to do. But if I'm going to be responsible, seldom is that going to be a choice between something to do and nothing to do. To be responsible today for many of us in many roles is do I do this or do I do that? And that exists for us as well. It is a call to be responsible with what God has given us a heart to do. We are to do it eagerly. It's interesting that this combination of words sits together. There's going to be an eagerness, but not for selfish gain not for shameful gain something for you but but do it eagerly now listen you you think about the things that you do in your life aren't aren't the things that you have the greatest appetite to do things that bring you gain they advance something for you they posture your life to be in a better place you will work hard sacrifice hard and the bible turns around and says do this even if it doesn't bring gain to you and do it eagerly as a passion and a delight, not just because it's going to advance something personal in our lives. He says to do it humbly, and yet he uses the word to exercise oversight. And this is an awkward thing. This is an awkward thing for me to preach. It's an awkward thing for these men to, to acknowledge. Um, but the scriptures acknowledge it. The scriptures promote it, right? First Thessalonians 5 will say this. Respect those who labor among you and are, quote, over you in the Lord and admonish you. 
So, so the Bible is installing something here that goes along with humility. They're, they're not one or the other. They're supposed to go together. And in, this is where humility can get weird and we can pick it up and use it in a way that really isn't accurate. Because this one passage is going to exhort elders to both be humble and to be over people at the same time. To be in a posture and in a position that others do not have. And to have the right to exercise authority and influence and admonishment and play a role that is distinct from. Well, you know, there's something about pride that loves distinction, isn't there? And isn't that what my pride's number one issue is to find out what way can I stick out? What category can I find that makes me noticeable amongst the crowd? I mean, that's the first thing pride starts shopping for when you come out the birth canal, I think. What can I be known for? Oh, I notice people notice me when I do this or say that. Let me do that again. Let me do that again. And, right? and then we just develop a habit of presenting ourselves in such a way. Well, then the Bible turns around and says, I am making you unique amongst others. Like it or not. Awkward or not. It is a call. And it's God's order. And apparently it can be done humbly and with authority. So it can be played in those ways. And that's why Peter is exhorting the elders in these categories. Now listen, I don't want to over limit this. There's much benefit in this passage for any of us who are called to answer the call of God in these passages, there is, there is helpful insights if you are uh, an employer. You're here today and you, you have responsibilities for others who are, are under you. Or you're a, a parent. You're, you're playing the role. You're, you're called to answer the call to be a mom or to be a dad. And there's this role that we play and we bring it into other people's lives that ought to fit this description and the opposite of this shouldn't be what describes us as we answer the call right we shouldn't find ourselves right let me transfer this This it's not just the guys in the front row issue here if God's called you to be a parent he's called you to do that willingly eagerly which is, you know, easy to do on days when stuff is good, right? And your children are just loving and appreciating everything you've ever done for them. <laughs> the notes are sweet and the kind words and the thoughtfulness on their part. You know, the, the eager line forms right behind me in that moment. <laughs> but there's a, I don't know if you've noticed, there's another day in parenting that doesn't invite eagerness (laughs) quite the same way but I'm called to that this is the framework of God in our midst to walk in these settings to care for families in a way that is humble yet clearly you have been given authority right humility doesn't confuse democracy and leadership right I mean it's not like oh well you know I know I'm the dad, but, you know, let's take a vote. Um, well, that's democracy, but I, I'm, I'm not sure that is the way it's done in humility. Right? There, there's a role to be played. It's, it's designed by God. And, and humility doesn't mean being nice all the time and, and just deferring to everybody else's wishes. That's, that's not what humility means. But it also doesn't mean abusing power. Right, the opposite of what's in this passage is unfortunately way too much in our world. People with authority over others, which this is passage is addressing those kinds of people, have been power abusers. Right? It's why we live in the hashtag world that we live in today. Because rather than being humble, having an accurate self-awareness, there is this sense that I have a unique place of power and I will use it to my own gain. If you're a husband, a father, a mother, 
you can use the authority and the role that God has given you for your own gain at the expense of those that God has called for you to be a means of grace into their lives. Remember, your children are walking through their own chapters of difficulty. I don't know where to put my hope. Fiery trials have come among me. And grace is coming to them through you leading them in the ways that are described here. So listen, this is very helpful for elders, very helpful for any of us playing any kind of a role in other lives. Look in verse 2. I exhort the elders, take careful notice, you know, don't do this under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. As God would have you. And that's, if you look in the New Testament, there's two ideas here that are in that phrase. One is there's a way to do this that is God's way. And the other is this is God's idea from the start. How how does this idea of elders among others playing a unique role get established? Well, it's God's idea. Acts 20 verse 28. Paul exhorts another set of elders who are in Ephesus. He says, be careful or pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That word of authority, that word of functional leadership in people's lives. Paul acknowledges to these elders, you have been given this role not by your effort, not by your activity or the activities of others. This is not the result of democratic popularity. The Holy Spirit has a purpose that he raises up in the lives of people. And one of those purposes is elders who would function. 1 Corinthians 12 highlights the Holy Spirit's movement among us as now there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. And He later says, God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, etc. So, so this, is, this is a role that is called to be played because God has appointed individuals to play that. And the Holy Spirit chooses the way and for the reasons that He chooses, which, which brings with it its own sense of of humility. Now let me let me encourage three groups out of that thought. First for the the individual and for this morning, fresh word for all of us, but particularly as Frank answers this call for us as a church. At some moment any elder serving is going to ask the question that Paul asked to the Corinthians when he says who is adequate for these things and, and you know if, if all all we're doing is human effort to achieve human things then, then maybe we won't ask that question but if the church is the place where the supernatural God of the universe steps into our world and makes himself known and does incredible things to bring his kingdom into this fallen world that's beyond my pay grade. That's beyond any of us feeling adequate to step into that realm and to accomplish those kinds of things. So we join the Apostle Paul and say, you know, who is adequate for these things? And so there, there, this is a role that engages self-doubt. This is too hard. This is a role that's full of stress. Difficulty that you don't feel like you're going to be able to pull it off. And it doesn't always sound like 1 Corinthians. It doesn't always sound like who's adequate for these kingdom dimensions. No, it sounds like I don't, I don't have time for that this week. I, I don't know what to say to that person. I, I don't know if I can do what I'm being asked to do. I don't know if that was good counsel. I don't know if that message made any sense to anybody. It feels like that. It doesn't always feel like this ethereal, like I just came off the mountain, who is adequate for such kingdom work? Uh, it's going to sound like complaining to your wife. It's going to sound like that. Elders, be aware. This is God's doing, and it is God's call. And he does put us in positions that are awkward and challenging and difficult. For those around elders... 
for wives who walk with men and for children who relate to fathers and those who are in lives and people who are friends and, and dear to folks walking this way. There is a sense that we need to be aware God, God is behind this. Our encouragement comes from knowing this is something God is doing. These are God's ideas. God is for us in this. God is the adequacy behind all the difficulty that we might feel inadequate for. And then for the church, right? The church is embracing this, which Peter's exhorting elders to be and to do. The church is embracing that. So the church has to recognize, is is this God? Is God? Is, is God doing this this morning? Right? In, in neutral moments, that's an easy thing to say. Oh, yeah, I think so. In challenging moments, when one of the elders is interacting with you about a situation and you don't like the way that feels, they're playing a role of oversight and they're playing a role of admonishing and you don't necessarily like that right now. This doesn't feel like Frank's ordination service. This feels like he's confronting me about something. I don't know if I like that. And, and who made you boss over me anyway? Well, hopefully God did. That's what we see in the scriptures. God is behind what we do here. Verse 5. What's the interest of the church here? He's going to transition, this so transitions to likewise you who are younger. Be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore. Right, so something is going to be said here that is just flat, awkward. I, I, actually, I think at some point I need to preach extensively on this awkward subject. And it, it is the awkward subject of individual creatures coming in contact with divine authority. Because we don't live in a day where that's done very well at all. So the God who has this idea that he owns the universe. And that he has complete permission to not only tell the planets how to move through space. But to tell individuals how to move through space as well. That God says stuff like this. He exhorts all of us, be subject to the elders. Subject to. Here's your life in the spiritual sense. There's lots of stuff that that elders don't have authority over. But there are some things that elders do have authority in. Be subject to the elders. In Hebrews 13.7, he says it this way. Obey your leaders. And submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. All right, now, so remember, this so, I think I'll talk to the elders for a moment, moment gets introduced to us in First Peter because life has difficulty, life has opposition, life has attacks. Life is confusing. We don't know where to put our hope. So, submit yourselves to the authority that God has created as a means of grace coming into our lives. Now, let me just chase a rabbit for a second here. That's not a popular concept in our day. Authority being honored and respected and actually submitted to is, uh, is becoming more and more and more rare. Right? The philosophy of life in our world is the individual rules. And how dare you interact with or interfere with the individual's right to make his own choices, his own way, for his own purpose, for his own good. If you interfere with that, then you are the one that, that are, we're going to come after you. So a sense that there is this thing, this commodity out in the universe called authority. And we should find it and appropriately as individuals seek to get underneath it. We should seek to be people who are under authority. We, we don't seek to be under authority. We're people who challenge authority. We've we got an attitude about authority. 
right? Every night, every night, flip on the media and listen to them talk about the people in authority. Is it, is it an honorable moment? Do you ever hear a honor going towards those in authority? Do you ever hear anybody who's looking to respect authority and submit to leaders? And listen, you know, we're not exempt from any of this because we're good Christian people. We can be as nasty as anybody can be. Just go back and check your Facebook feed. And see what you had to say about somebody who commented about the president. Right? Years of disrespect, dishonoring Barack Obama. Disrespect, dishonoring, saying harsh, ugly, ridiculous things that whether you liked him as an individual, whether you liked his policies, so easily we just kicked authority out of the conversation. The man occupies an office, an office of authority that the Bible says God establishes authorities in this world. And yet we as Christians gave ourselves permission to trash that dude up one side and down the other like he was just some bum from the neighborhood. And, and now that's happening to Donald Trump. Same exact thing is happening now. Right, so there's, there's not this honoring. There's not a respect for authority. See, this is much deeper than politics. All right? This is a spiritual thing that's got to do with ultimately we want to cast off God's authority. Don't for a second think this is about Donald Trump or Barack Obama or somebody's taxation policies. This is about individuals in a fallen state who are looking to find out where the creator is and to shake their fist in his face and say, you will not rule over me. I got authority. I've got the right to do with my life what I want to do. I heard somebody say this the other day. This is a social issue, but I want you to make sure you see it's a social issue that's birthed out of this issue. So the idea that you as a parent should not put your children, quote I heard, in a box at a young age by identifying their gender for them. Now that just sounds, well that's a social issue, you know, that's kind of the, the same-sex marriage and the gender fluidity debate, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. No, no, no. That's, that's an authority issue. It doesn't matter what the creator creates. We will use creation the way we want to use creation. You can take a hike. So I don't care what I came out of the womb as. I'll let you know what I am. That's the heart of what's behind some of these debates that we're having in society and why we're all so loud and crying out about it. It's a casting off of authority. We're not the first people who did this, but what awaits you when you cast off authority rather than seeking to run under it is chaos, is what awaits us. Anybody ever remember? You remember this verse. You may not remember where it comes from. In that day, there was no king in Israel. And every man did what was right in his own eyes. That's the last verse in the book of Judges. Following one of the most disturbing and outrageous and hard to imagine that this actually got included in the Bible passages in the Bible. Now you're all curious. You can go home and read the end of Judges. Right? Here, here's the situation. It's, it's chaos. There's a day in which a man with his concubine, it's not his wife, but it's kind of like his wife, shows up in a town and bunks in there for the evening and the men of the town find out, it's a stranger here. Let's, let's go get the man and have sex with him. And through the negotiations that go on in the house, they end up, giving the concubine to these men who rape her all night long and kill her. The next day, the Levite man finds this dead concubine and, you know, as strange as this sounds, it's like he took to social media. This is what he did. He cut her body parts up and sent them throughout the nation of Israel to one tribe after another. Right? He, he went public with this thing. He hashtagged, these dudes just killed my concubine. No reason. Rage, right? Just like what you see today. Let me, let me pump up the rage, right? And rage comes from the people in Israel. And they all come together and they call on all the tribes to come visit that city and destroy it completely. 
except the Benjamites, where the town was located, refused to play along. So now a civil war breaks out. And you have the nation of Israel, all 11 tribes rise up against the one tribe and begin to wipe people out. They wipe out the town of Gibeah, men, women, children. They wipe out everything. They wipe out the tribe of Benjamin, men, women, children. So much so that 600 men are left in the entire tribe of Benjamin, but no women. And they realize what they've done. We have almost wasted one of the 12 tribes of Israel. What do we do now? So they get the idea. Well, we'll have to go find virgins for these 600 men. So they go in and force 400 women from one town and 200 women from another town to be the wives of these 600 men in Benjamin. Then you get the verse. In that day, there was no king in Israel. And each man did what was right in his own eyes. Listen, you and I are living in a day where your impulses are being licensed, applauded, and told, take it off the leash, do whatever you want to do, that's the right thing. You're going to write stories like the end of Judges when that day arrives, where people do the most horrific things for their own reasons. But, But God has installed something here, right? God has installed something that my soul needs. Remember, these are men who are watching over your soul. So I'm to submit to them because my soul needs to find the creator's authority in the world. Not just act on my own purposes, my own ideas, my own preferences. I I need to get underneath the creator's ideas. And so here's how God's authority This is not the only way, but this is how God's authority arrives in our lives on a regular basis. The creator of the universe who has all authority has revealed himself through this word. This is why we preach this word. This is why we don't stand up and say, hey, I had an idea. This is God's authority made known to man. And so elders are to represent that authority, to proclaim that authority. We preach and teach from the Bible. As a matter of fact, the day we don't preach and teach from the Bible, you are not obligated to submit to that authority because we only get our authority from this authority. So if we decide, hey, guys, uh, you don't need to bring your Bibles anymore. We're not using that book anymore. We found another book. It's really cool. We think you're going to love it. Uh, And then we start going from that. Your responsibility would be at that point not to submit to authority because we have lost our authority in that moment. The only authority elders have is authority that is granted from the word of God by the creator God. So we have a responsibility to be under authority. But listen, my soul needs to run for shelter. It needs to find authority. It needs to live in that place. Let me do that. I don't want to take too long here. Um, I mean, there's some, there's some great stuff here in this verse. I won't, I won't unpack all of it. I'm going to come back to that thought in just a moment. Um, when this verse ter- turns around and says, hey, I've installed people who have authority over you. And then it turns around and said, okay, now, now be humble Be humble people. See, humble people can receive that. But be very, very careful about what, what, you know, what is humility? You know, it's, it's not a cologne that you splash on. Right? It's not like all of a sudden you just decide, oh, I, I, you know, that, that didn't sound humble, did it? I need to, like, I need to sound humble. I need to act humble. Humble, but humble is not a behavior that you adjust the way you sound in order to sound like it. Right? It's, it's not things that you're going to do now because this thing over here is underneath a bad label. Let's, let's get underneath the good label. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and be humble. No, humble, humility is a reaction to seeing something. Humility comes when I have seen God. In his enormity and perfection and beauty. And the more I see of him, the more I see of me. To where I am not very impressed with me. But, you know, when God tends to do this and we don't know him well and he's distant from us and we haven't spent time getting around God, we tend to do this. And then it's really, really hard to be humble 
Because now it's just a list of behaviors. Now it's just, you sound a certain way and act a certain way, but you're really not humble. To be humble is to see God accurately. And the more we see him accurately, the more humility just feels right. It just feels like the right place. Because you see yourself accurately. And for the sake of leading, leading together, for the sake of partnerships, husbands and wives, families, it's very, very hard to do partnership relationships without humility. Very hard. Because there's a competition, there's a striving. We want certain things our own way because we think too much of ourselves. That's why God says, hey, you know, run under authority. Wait, wait, somebody being over me kind of authority? You talking about that? Yeah. What, you got a problem with that? Are, are you aware that you weren't designed to be ultimately an authority? But you were designed to be under authority? You're a creature. Are, are, you aware, are you aware here this morning that you have a need for somebody besides you to watch over your soul? Now before you say, yeah, yeah. All right. If this verse doesn't have real life in you, then probably not as aware as you think you are. Right, so if you're sitting here this morning and I said, who are the elders that are in your life? I'm like, well, kind of go to this church a little bit, that one a little bit, tend here sometimes. Uh, and I said, this verse says, if, if you understand your need for someone else besides you to watch over your soul because you don't, you don't have it. I don't have it. I've got some of it. I'm called to be responsible, but I need others to watch over my soul. I need their influence. I, I need what God is doing in them to spill over into me. I need to be affected by others and their leadership and God's call in their life. So listen, in every setting, this is not just a church thing, but it is a church thing. In every setting, you and I are creatures that need to find how to run underneath the authority that God has made available. It's a place of shelter to us. Right, I know popularity, I'm going to chase too many rabbits here. Popularity, no, no woman today wants to hear submit to a man. Okay, well, the voices telling you that don't understand the universe you live in. Right, authority is a means of grace and it is a shelter in your life. And when life is difficult... And it's filled with all the problems here. Oh, and by the way, I'm not even going to get to uh, cast your anxieties as well as be sober-minded because there's a devil out there who's looking to get at you. It's interesting that that's going to come up in the exhortation for elders. It's very much like Paul said. Paul, Paul told the Ephesian elders, hey, listen, I'm about to leave you guys. But when I do, fierce wolves will come in among you and they will not spare the flock. So you're going you're gonna to walk out spiritually. I mean, maybe you're driving a brand new car, moved into a great new home, got a good new job. Can I just tell you, that none of that stuff spiritually will protect you? You've got a stable personality. You've never been in a mental hospital. Congratulations. None of that makes the devil go, oh, I guess I'll just stay away from him. Did you see the car he drives? Let's go get this guy over here in the beat up truck. You know, that's not how the devil operates. He is like a roaring lion seeking those who are vulnerable. And you know who the ones who are the most vulnerable are? The ones who are not under authority. Because we're doing our own thing our own way. Oh, he loves to interact with people who have that attitude. Because there's nothing in you that's going to check you. And he's got access to that. So here's what God does. God installs elders in our lives as a means of his grace coming into our lives to protect us, to lead us, to help us be postured, to keep us from independence, to protect us from arrogance that I don't need anybody, I got this. So, is your life going to be having any difficulty in it anytime soon? Probably. You will probably need the men who are seated here in the front row. In some kind of way, God has designed them to live and function among us in a way that is going to affect us 
bring grace to us and to protect us. That's why we do what we're doing here today. So let me move us now to, to actually ordaining Frank. So if I could get all the elders to come join me up here. I'm not sure where the best spot. Maybe we can gather right here. Frank and Annette as well, if you guys would come up together. You know, part of the scripture, you know, there's so much in, in scripture that I'm, I'm just not going to be able to get to today to talk about eldership and, and, and what the Bible teaches about eldership. But this call to eldership, it, it is a blend of God-given ability to lead and to affect and influence others in that leadership and, and qualified character, not, not, of, not of some superiority, but of a responsibility to be responsive to God so that our character is being shaped by him. And this, so the Bible holds out, let's, let's make sure we put men in place that their lives are both. They're just not dynamic, influential individuals who don't have character. Why, who comes to mind when you can think of that? Sorry, I just got political. Um, but they're to have both character as well as ability. And so... The unique thing with, with, with Frank is, you know, Frank is, is known among us. And elders are supposed to be known. They're supposed to be known in such a way that he's not a mystery standing here today going, you know, I wonder what Frank's really like. You know, I know what he's like in public, but what's he really like? Well, you know, the joy of knowing somebody for so long is you know what he's really like. And that there's, there's genuineness and reality uh, of what God has been doing in his life for many, many years. Um, the other thing that we do, we participate together, as many of you guys know, in a family of churches called Sovereign Grace Churches. And so to, to be an elder in a local church also makes you part of the region of churches that we're a part of. And so the elders are playing a role in influencing things that are happening throughout the region and other churches as well. So for that to take place, uh, we actually are submitting ourselves to that region of leaders as well who have played a role. There's an ordination committee in our region who uh, in, uh, investigates, if you will, evaluates, gets to know candidates and puts them through testing to make sure is there like-mindedness in our theology? Do we agree on how we see these things in scripture? So Frank's walked through that process as well, in addition to what we're doing here locally this morning. All right, you guys fortunately know much about Frank, so I, I, won't, I won't go into personal details. Uh, if you don't know him, uh, you will get to know him because he's that way. He will make sure you get a chance to get to know him. Uh, but let me see if I can remember these numbers correctly. Uh, married to Annette for, is it almost 40 years? Will it be 40 years this year? 40 years this year. Three children, David, Paul, and Abby, who are dispersed over this way. Eleven grandchildren. Been in Lakeview for 37 years? 38 years. Boy, it felt like 37. It just went by so fast. Um, <laughs> um, so what, Frank has served in so many ways in the church that has had an influence on who we are and what we've been able to build together. And so in many ways, uh, Frank doesn't have to change much hats to join an eldership team because he's already uh, serving. We don't have to come up with a list of, hey, Frank, can you do this or do this or do this? He's already got a pretty full list uh, as it is, for which we are extremely grateful for. All right, Frank, a couple questions. Not knock over my gift here. Frank, do you believe that the Holy Spirit has called you and set you apart to Shepherd Lakeview Christian Center as an elder? Willingly? <laughs> Not under compulsion. Just making sure. Frank, based on 1 Peter 5, we just read in Acts 20, listen carefully, is it your intention to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock, and 
to pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Is that your intention? Well, Frank, we're going to charge you in accord with 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul told Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Now, what we do today is not merely to charge Frank in this regard. It is to charge us to receive the ministry that God is giving to us as a means of grace. So my charge to all of us who are a church to be receiving from this man question, is it your intention, according to scripture, to remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, to consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith, to obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over our souls as those who have to give an account, and to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work and to pray for Frank and for all the elders. Is that your intention? All right, well, let's stand up together. You know, the Bible instructed in the first century that they would identify elders and then they would lay their hands on them and pray for them. And, and then it didn't give you a lot of information as what was happening in that moment when the hands were being laid. But later on, you discovered that something was being transferred, something that God was granting into that person's life was taking place. And later it would have an impact so noticeable that Paul would actually talk about it, that this was, this was noticeable and he encouraged, fan the flame of that in your life. And so We're going to pray for Frank, and please join us in your hearts as we ask the Lord's grace and anointing. Lord, how do we say thank you for, well, first just that that we're gathered here today aware of your grace in our lives, aware that you are our God aware that there was a way back to a relationship with you made known through your son, Jesus Christ, and you have welcomed us and made us your family. So Lord, we're, we're gathered here because of your grace in our lives. And we move forward trusting in that grace as well. And Father, we thank you for the grace that was given to us in the gift of a leader in our lives of one that you have given particular abilities to, particular gifts to him, so that that might spill into our lives as a means of grace, as a means of protection. Lord, thank you that we stand here today praying for and laying our hands on a man who's going to be with us in the days of difficulty. He's going to be a means of helping us to transfer our hope to the right place. He will help us when fiery trials seem hard to understand. Lord, this is who you are giving to us today. And Lord, we pray for him. God, we pray for the power of your Holy Spirit, the anointing of your life in and through him to touch our lives. Lord, what you have given him the task among us is supernatural. Lord, it defies and goes beyond human abilities and human explanation. Lord, you are going to do things through this man. So we pray for the power of your spirit, the life of your spirit, to flow freely and actively through Frank's life to him, refreshing him, strengthening him, drawing him near to you, but Lord, spilling out into our lives as well. God, we pray for he and Annette as they walk together as husband and wife, Lord. Uh, Lord, you have assigned a helper to this man. And she has been a help 
through many chapters and many settings along the way. And God, would you allow grace to come to her so that she will be a help in this next chapter, these coming days. Lord, let grace be found for Frank through Annette by your grace. And Lord, we stand as a church to say, Lord, we receive what you give to us today. Well, we, we start just with the elders who are here laying our hands on Frank. Uh, Lord, we receive from this man. We, we, we open our hearts and we humbly submit ourselves to one another. And God, we welcome his influence and the story of who you've been in and through him to become an influence in our lives in even a greater way. And God, we as a church, God, we welcome his ministry into our lives. God, we honor him as a a man with authority spiritually among us. And so, Lord, would you help our lives to be wide open? Would you help us to be a source of receptiveness? And would you help us, oh God, to be a means of grace and encouragement back to him and to Annette as they walk to fulfill your calling for your glory and the good of your church? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. is a certificate of ordination signed by Mark Prater and some other guy. <laughs> and then, you know, th- this is a, this is a, <laughs> this is a, a, a thoughtful gift from the folks in Sovereign Grace who get a lovely calfskin Bible and they have a date in here, and you know, this is being presented to Frank Loria by Sovereign Grace Churches on June 3rd, 2018, and it will just stay in that box and <laughs> never be used by you, because Frank is still using the Bible I think I met him with in 1978, or at least something close to it, which has been rebound and had to be raised from the dead. Uh, but that's a thoughtful gift uh, of appreciation from the guys in Sovereign Grace. Thank you. Love you guys.